It's the wheelchair commandments. Yeah. Can't tell me nothing about these wheels. Nothing. This chair. Uh-uh. Where my four wheelers at? Hi, everybody. On behalf of the Southeast ADA Center, the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University, and the ADA National Network, I want to welcome you to episode three of our new podcast series, Disability Rights Today. Disability Rights Today provides listeners with new insights on recent court cases that shape the Americans with Disabilities Act and impact the civil rights of people with disabilities. Hi, everybody. I'm Barry Whaley. I'm director at the Southeast ADA Center. And listening audience, if you have questions about the ADA, you can use the online form anytime at disabilityrightstoday. That's all one word, disabilityrightstoday.org. In 2017, Dr. Scott Crawford, a retired clinical neuropsychologist, sued Hines County, Mississippi under the ADA saying he was unable to perform jury duty in both 2012 and 2015 because of the design of the Hines County Courthouse. Hines County is the largest county by population in Mississippi. U.S. District Judge Tom Lee of the Southern District of Mississippi found that Crawford had proven the Hines County Courthouse was in fact not accessible to people with disabilities. The judge also reconsidered his earlier ruling that Crawford had standing and reversed it, finding that the possibility of being excluded from future jury duty was too speculative. Dr. Crawford won summary judgment and went to trial for injunctive relief. After the trial, the judge reconsidered his earlier ruling that Crawford had standing and reversed it, finding that the possibility of being excluded from future jury duty was too speculative. On appeal to the U.S. Fifth Circuit, Dr. Crawford argued he has standing both as a juror and as an engaged citizen. On June 16, 2021, the Fifth Circuit found Dr. Crawford did indeed have standing. So to help us understand all this, we welcome to today's episode, Dr. Crawford, plaintiff in the case, Andrew Beiser, his lead attorney, and our host, Dr. Peter Blank, chairman of the Burton Blatt Institute and university professor at Syracuse University. So Peter, it's my pleasure to turn the program over to you. Thank you, Barry, for that great introduction and welcome Dr. Crawford and Mr. Beiser, if I may, Scott and Andy. Congratulations on this very important victory. In this series, we really take a hard look though at the how the, the ADA has impacted the lives, the daily lives and citizenship participation of individuals like yourself, Scott, and advocates like Andy. Let me start with Scott, if I may. Scott, tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got to this point of having to vindicate your rights in federal court. Thank you, Peter. Uh, Again, my name is Scott Crawford. Uh, I retired from clinical neuropsychology back in 2000 after being diagnosed with progressive multiple sclerosis. And uh, I came back to Jackson in 2006 and to be closer to my family. So anyway, uh, this episode started in 2012 when I showed up for jury duty and noticed that there was a six inch step up to reach the bar 
or the proceedings area of the court. And I use a power wheelchair for mobility. And of course, they won't go upstairs. So um, I also noticed that there were no accessible public bathrooms. And that's a real problem. And so, you know, after noticing these problems, I went over to ask for their ADA coordinator, which is always the protocol. You know, you ask for the ADA coordinator and you file a grievance. And they didn't know what ADA stood for. And I found out that he didn't have an ADA coordinator. So anyway, I knew that there was a serious problem at that point. So I called, you know, a friend, Christine Waddell, and other friends at our Center for Independent Living. And we did, uh, with Christine's help, we did a free survey. And it was very collegial and very collaborative. Um, there's a mantra in the disability community that I'm very fond of, educate or litigate. And I always prefer educating. And so, you know, we, Christine helped us do this survey. We wrote up a report and for two years, we worked collaboratively in multiple meetings with Hines County staff to educate and persuade them to bring the courthouse into compliance with ADA. It was only after all those efforts failed and I discovered that it was still not accessible that in finally in 2017, I sought out Beiser and Drews and we sued. Now, I want to get to Andy in a little bit, Scott, but Scott, had you ever experienced anything like this before? And, you know, what, what were you thinking and feeling about our American democracy? Or perhaps this was just a continuation of, of other oh. related issues um, oh, yeah. oh, that yeah. you had felt and yeah. experienced. Okay. Well, in 2007, when I first started, you know, I first bought a house here in Jackson and I started to try to get around, I noticed that we had no ADA compliance whatsoever, nothing. Our JTRAN bus system was running buses without working lifts. I was being left on the side of the road day in and day out over and over again. I had to file complaints to the FTA. I again had to go to the city. Again, I found out that they didn't know what ADA stood for. They didn't have an ADA coordinator. It took a public protest to get an ADA coordinator. So yes, I've been through this before. And um, eventually we had to sue in federal court in 2008, just so people like me could get on the bus at all. DOJ joined the lawsuit and thankfully, thankfully we have a consent decree now and we're still working towards compliance. So yes, I've been through this before and it's been a really long slog. I wanna get back to the case of course, which is 
seminal case. But I wanted to turn to Andy, if that's okay. Andy, had you worked in this area before? And what was your your sense when Scott came to you with this matter? How did he how did he find you? Sure. So I've been working for uh, disabled folks, mostly wheelchair users, with respect to lawsuits um, under the ADA since about 2010. And I, I believe in uh, in educate through litigation, um, not not the other way around or one or the other. And so I had a, a wheelchair user uh, client in Mississippi who uh, told Dr. Crawford about about me, and, and I believe that's how we came to meet each other. And so, you know, Dr. Crawford uh, is an amazing, amazing guy who really believes in advocacy. And if, you know, if it was up to me, we'd be filing lawsuits left and right for every single, you know, uh, violation he, he encounters, whether it's, you know, the Taco Bell around the corner from his house or the, the grocery store. He doesn't want to file lawsuits. He wants to, you know, educate first, you know, that's, that's, an, that's a great way to, to, to handle it. Um, but, you know, by the time he spoke to me, he had sort of exhausted all of his advocacy avenues uh, with respect to this particular courthouse. And, you know, I, my partner and I had been um, working uh, in Title II lawsuits um, against governmental uh, facilities uh, for quite some years. So we felt like we were you know, ready, willing, and able to to assist him with respect to the Hines County Courthouse. Now, let, let me just jump on something, if I may, before, again, we get to the meat of this case, Andy and Scott. You hear a lot in the press these days about serial ADA litigation and people who are kind of going all over the place to sue businesses and so forth. I, I think it's important to hear from you, and I know I believe as well, that there, there are certainly individuals who take issues to extremes, perhaps in some cases, the counter to that, of course, is, well, perhaps they should have fixed these things years ago in any event. But I wanted to make clear to our listeners, Scott and Andy, as you've alluded to, the, both the compelling nature of this, you know, basically uh, disengagement, disbarment from society, and also how you are very focused on fixing these rights in a way that benefits society overall. Would you What's your comment on that kind of thinking? Because I want, I want our listeners to understand the realities of this sort of litigation, as well as, you know, the heartfelt uh, nature of the discrimination you've faced. This is Scott. Um, you know, the other mantra that you hear in the disability community is nothing about us without us. Now, the problem with that is how can you participate when there are no sidewalks at all and the ones that exist don't have curb ramps and are not accessible, when the public transit system isn't accessible, when you can't leave the house in safety to include yourself in things that people take for granted. So when I do make the effort, the extreme efforts that I make to get to jury duty, yes, I feel it's my, my duty as a responsible citizen to suit up, show up, and speak truth to power. You know, 
we expect in our system of justice to have a jury of our peers. Well, latest data from the CDC came out just recently saying 20% of Mississippians have a mobility disability and they're defining it as serious difficulty walking or climbing stairs. So I'm not alone. This isn't just about one person. It's about making society more welcoming to people of all abilities. Thank you, Scott. Now, Andy, just what, what's your take on this um, sense that people are abusing this law, this serial litigation, and a lot of it is, is unwarranted? Well, I could talk for a long time about this subject, so I'll try to be as succinct as possible. People like Dr. Crawford encounter this type of discrimination all the time. And so that's what I always tell attorneys where they're like, well, your client's a serial litigant. He's filed seven lawsuits. And it's like, he goes about his business as a, as a human being. He encounters discrimination. And he, under the ADA, the only way to enforce that is through civil litigation. And so there are some attorneys and some disabled people who like will fly to Colorado and go to like 50 restaurants and file 50 lawsuits, right? That's clearly not what my law firm does. And that's clearly not what Dr. Crawford does. And so I don't really, I don't really care about that, right? That's not my concern. My concern is my clients encounter these problems and they file lawsuits. And, and it's sort of a damned if you do, damned if you don't thing where, you know, they'll say, well, you didn't sue these other places or, you know, so what are you doing singling us out? Or, well, you file lawsuits against everybody. And so no one likes to get sued, right? And no one likes to get sued saying they're discriminating. And no one likes to get sued saying that they're discriminating against disabled people. That's, that's kind of shocking and, and as well it should be. And, and oftentimes, instead of looking inward at why they got sued, they will lash out against someone and they don't want to lash out against the guy in the chair. So they lash out against the attorney. And that's, that's fine. But this, this is how the ADA was drafted, right? There are no federal ADA inspectors with clipboards on the, on the taxpayer you know, dime. Uh, it's, it's, it's only through advocates like Dr. Crawford that we can get this done. And that's how it was drafted. Let me ask sure. you, Andy, that's a very good point. What about the judges? Obviously, judges are individuals. They're all over the place. But do, are they getting this, too? It depends. It really depends. Um, some of them get it and some of them are very, you know, they raise an eyebrow about someone who's filed 15 lawsuits. Like I have a guy we filed. Yeah, we filed, you know, probably 15 or so because he goes around town and, and there's no ramp to get into, you know, to the corner store. No, no, you know, bathroom access at the McDonald's. You know, some of them, they'll, 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 they'll talk to me with a raised eyebrow, but I'll always say the same thing. You know, you know, my clients live their life. They experience discrimination and they enforce their rights. That's how the, the, the Congress drafted the law. If they don't like the law, they can get it changed if they want. Well, we don't need to go there, but no, no, that's, you know, very, you know that's I mean. very compelling, Andy. If I might just add one more thing to your point, Peter. Um, I can't leave my house without encountering some kind of ADA barrier that shouldn't be there. 
I'm going to repeat that. I can't leave my house without encountering a reportable ADA problem. So if I sued each and every time I encountered something that was non-compliant, my goodness. You know, this litigation has not been fun for Dr. Crawford. And, and he can speak to it himself, but I mean, we filed this lawsuit in 2017. You know, we, we filed the motion for summary judgment. We thought we had everything in the bag going to trial. We went to trial. The judge reversed himself. We had to appeal. I mean, this was not fun for Dr. Crawford. This is not something that he wanted to do. So, you know, certain people, you know, just have different tolerances for being engaged in this, this type of litigation. We had, you know, failed settlement talks. We've had been just straight face lied to by the, by the county about this, that, and the other. I mean, this is, you know, it's my job, right? Right. You know, I, I chose this and, 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 and this is, you know, super taxing for Dr. Crawford. And so, it's, no, it's not something that he wants to do, file lawsuits left and right. It is extre no. extremely difficult. I mean, no. stressful and time consuming. But I do it because I'm passionate about making the world a better place. It's, it's something you otherwise would not do for the sake of enjoyment. That is, that is very clear. Let's turn to the case a little bit, if I may. Andy, we have a lot of non-lawyers and advocates on, the, on this call. We reach very widely across the United States. Can you give the elevator talk as if you were talking to your relatives about what this case was about and why it's important? Sure. So... Um... This is the Hines County Courthouse, which is owned by Hines County. It is a public facility, and therefore a public facility that's owned by uh, a governmental entity has to follow Title II of the ADA. Title III pertains to like shopping centers and restaurants and things of that nature. Because it's Title II, they don't have to comply specifically with every single regulation like you've heard about. You know, a grab bar has to be 36 inches long or mirror has to be 40 inches high. They have, to, they have to meet what's called program access, which gave governments a little bit more leeway. And basically the question is, are the, the programs and services that are being offered in this place accessible to persons with disabilities? And in this case, it was a wheelchair user. That's what they got to do, right? And so for Dr. Crawford to sue and be successful, he has to prove that A, that he has a disability, B, that he was excluded, C, that he was excluded because of his disability, and D, and this is the most important one for the, for the sake of this conversation, is that if they fix the stuff, right, it will affect him, and therefore they should be forced to do it. Because I can't sue under the ADA, only a person that has been discriminated because of their disability. And so that's kind of the the, the rub, that's a difference. So like if a wheelchair user went to Colorado and they went to an Olive Garden and they had, were discriminated against and couldn't use the toilet, but they were never coming back to Colorado again, then they do not have standing to enforce the ADA. And so I'm getting a little ahead of ourselves here. So th this was all about standing. The main issue in this case is, does Dr. Crawford have standing you know, he never knows when he's going to get called as a juror again. This is a very uh, important issue. The United States Supreme Court had some something to say about this doctrine of standing last week, I believe, in a 
unrelated ADA case, which may have implications for the ADA. Can you just take a second? I don't want to get too legal about sure. this whole standing issue and why it's mm-hmm. why it's raised as it is. I mean, I think it's I think it makes sense. Right. I mean, I'm, I, you know, in order to sue for injunctive relief, to sue to make somebody fix something, you have to be personally affected. Right. You have to have an interest. And so if let's I live in New Orleans. Right. And if, and if I'm in a wheelchair and I want to go to the Superdome and uh, the way the, the seating is, is that when people stand up, I can't see the field, then. I have standing to sue to fix the Superdome because I live in New Orleans and I love the New Orleans Saints and I'm going to go back as opposed to someone who, say, comes in for the national championship game once because, you know, I don't know, University of Georgia is in the, the, the Sugar Bowl, but you never you say you never want to come back. So, I mean, that makes sense that, that you should have some sort of interest if you're forcing someone to comply with, with the law. Now, I just want to give a note to our listeners to thank them and to say, if you have questions about this topic or any other disability rights topics uh, for our show, Disability Rights Today, please submit your questions online at disabilityrightstoday.org. That's all one word, disabilityrightstoday.org, or call the Southeast ADA Center at 1-404-541- nine zero zero one now let me turn back to you scott and then i want to hear andy on this and i have a just in my mind why why would this case happen in this day and age there was a prior case before the united states supreme court called tennessee versus lane am i missing something why why does this have to be so drag out fight in this day and age and not just fixed. This is Scott. I, I want to just clarify something that Andy said earlier. The reason the courthouse may not have to be completely in compliance with the 2010 ADA accessibility guidelines is that it was built prior to ADA. That's important. That's the difference. If the courthouse had been built during the age of ADA, yes, it would have had to have complied with absolutely all the guidelines. So just making that clarification. But back to your question. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, Scott. Thank you for that. But so why wouldn't they say, Dr. Crawford, you're important to serve on this jury. We'll move it to another courtroom or something like that. Well, n- none of the courtrooms meet ADA standards. None of them. We checked. I- I'm asking the same question. If the guy in the wheelchair who lives in Hines County, who keeps getting called for jury duty and has other business at the courthouse, because I do. These are not the only times I visit. You know, if I don't have standing, then who would? I mean, I'm a human being, I'm a citizen, and I live here. My goodness, what does it take? 
I mean, was, was there any sensitivity? You got into this litigation mode. Was there any attempt to resolve this informally and move on? Oh, sure. I tried for years. But what about on the, on the county side? Sure, I can jump in real quick. They don't want to spend the money. That's it. Okay? That's what happened. They don't want to spend the money to make the courthouse accessible because they just didn't care. That's the answer. It costs a lot of money. They would rather exclude a valued citizen from this and spend tons of money and time on lawyers and legal fighting rather than try to resolve this. Maybe have it at the library. You know, I mean, uh, are there ways, Andy, that this could have been resolved? Yes. So without without getting into, you know, confidential settlement discussions, there were settlement discussions. We had, you know, all types of creative ways with, um, you know, extended time horizons of, of compliance and things of that nature. And, uh, and they just didn't want to settle. We filed our motion for summary judgment that you, you talked about in the intro. And we established a, that Dr. Crawford had standing and B that they violated the program access standard. And so we felt very confident going into trial that, you know, we could go to trial, prove our case, and, and let the chips fall where they may with, with respect to whatever injunctive relief the judge was going to fashion, because that was our posture when we went into trial, yeah. was that we had already pretty much won on everything, and the trial was just about proving to the judge what was messed up and what they got to do. Yeah. But what about, uh, Scott and Andy, the court of public opinion? I mean, was there outrage in the local community or was this just kind of pushed aside, you know, as something that would be nice to have, but there are other priorities they have to deal with. My, my friends are very supportive and they're cheering me on. Um, and, you know, in the early years, we had a coalition of folks willing to, you know, help and guide and, persuade. Uh, but when it came time to sue, um, it's, it's been a lonely place to be. There have been some local press has covered it thanks to Dr. Crawford's ability as a publicist. Um, but other than, you know, an isolated, you know, article about the trial, basically all through Scott's efforts um, was the only publicity that we were able to get. The jails in Hines County are under consent judgment. Uh, to, you know, there are all kinds of there's all kinds of, and this is, you know, speaking as an outsider, I don't mean to, to, uh, to talk poorly about Scott's hometown, but, you know, there's a lot of problems in Jackson, and, and I can understand why this particular one did not get a lot of oxygen in the press. And do you think, Andy, that this Fifth Circuit decision has implications certainly beyond uh, Jackson and, and uh, throughout this circuit and the country? I should hope so. I mean, I mean we, were, we were both sort of well, all of us were, were floored when we when we learned that the judge had reversed himself on standing and then explained why and cited some out of circuit district court case that he that the judge claimed stood for this broad based rule that jury service is too speculative when the case that the judge cited was completely didn't say that. And so, what, you know, what we did was we, you know, we looked at these these cases of, of O'Hare um, it's really interesting, actually. This woman, um, 
Magdalene Mary O'Hare was this um, atheist in Texas. And she, she was like murdered and she was this crazy Holocaust denier, but she was a very devout atheist and what wanted to sue Texas a lot over uh, the courthouses and, and how they would make people, uh, one, you couldn't be an atheist to serve on a jury, and another one where um, the, the judge made her swear that she would tell the truth as a prospective juror, and she refused, and so she sued. And so there are these two cases, there's the O'Hare case and the Society of Separatists case, and, and they just stood for the proposition that if, if, if someone is being excluded uh, from jury service uh, for, from a systemic uh, basis, then they have standing for injunctive relief. And so we just bridged it from atheists to wheelchair users because the judge, he did leave some breadcrumbs for the Fifth Circuit. You know, in a, in a footnote, he said, while I'm reversing myself on standing, I'm not reversing myself on whether they violated the program access standard because, you know, all of these courthouses are inaccessible and the defendant did not prove its defenses. And so, you know, the Fifth Circuit looked at that and said, well, this judge clearly held that this was a systemic exclusion because all the courthouses, all the courtrooms are, 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 are inaccessible. And so, yeah, Dr. Crawford is being excluded b- because of these, these ADA violations. If I may, yeah. why were these issues so heavily litigated in light of the Tennessee versus Lane Supreme Court decision, perhaps you can say a little bit about that case and if it had relevance here. So I don't even, I think we're overthinking it a little bit in that what we had was a really unique set of circumstances, I think. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm not giving us enough credit, but we had a county that did not want to settle, period, right? They just for whatever reason, they did not want to settle this case. So we were like, let's go to trial. Why not? And then we had a judge that made a terrible ruling and, and looked at this out-of-circuit case and, and, and claimed it stated that jury service is too speculative when, it, when it's not. So, you know, luckily, we, we, you know, we, we get to the Fifth Circuit and, and we drew two Trump judges and a Reagan judge that and you look it up you're thinking uh-oh this this could be a problem but they were totally they totally got it and and they understood the issues and they were they were asking the right questions and um they understood the case law and 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 we were successful and as to tennessee versus lane not not uh in play here we relied mostly on these these fifth circuit cases of of o'hare and and society of separatists you know, they, they kind of looked at it through, through that, that prism. So, Scott, let me ask you, what next? Are you going to get to serve on a, a jury? And can you at all put your, put your, wrap your mind around coming on the other side of the table? Why the heck Hines County would take the position that it did? Well, Andy's right. It's all about the money. It's all about the money. Um, in an ideal world, we would have more funding sources to bring existing infrastructure into compliance with ADA. And of course, you know, like many others in the disability community, I would love to see that happen. Okay, that would solve this problem moving forward. Now, 
what remains to be seen now moving forward is what will the Hines County supervisors do to bring that courthouse into compliance with ADA so that whenever a wheelchair user shows up for any reason to do business, uh, to see the circuit clerk about something, you know, uh, other business that happens at the courthouse or to serve on a jury, they're welcomed easily and accommodated easily with no difficulties. It shouldn't be this hard. So you can't take money out of the equation because it's not just the jury service, it's these other services. And say you were gonna be called to jury service, it's not that the judge could say, we're gonna have it in the high school gymnasium or the library or something, or would that be acceptable to you? There's a lot of pragmatic issues that come into play. And I've thought this through. And if every single time you had a wheelchair user show up, you had to completely find a new building, that would be quite disruptive to the process. So the best case scenario is community integration, meaning one courthouse that serves people of all abilities. Now, in the interim, it may be that they have to choose another venue. And the federal courthouse here is very new and mostly meets ADA accessibility guidelines. And that would be the ideal place, but good luck getting that to happen. Now, when you both say it's all about the money, are we talking, is it an exorbitant amount of money or are there some easy fixes that could be done that would benefit everybody? It could be done. It will be expensive, but it's not gonna be, you know, backbreakingly so. And it's, it's funny, if you listen to the oral arguments, the, the attorney for the county was talking about how the, the historic nature will be destroyed if we, maybe, I'm paraphrasing, of course, I don't think she used those words, uh, if we make these modifications. And, and that's just simply not true. And, and Dr. Cropper can speak on that for, for a long time, I'm sure, about you know, instances where historical buildings were, were modified for wheelchair users in a, in a very, you know, tasteful and integrated manner. It's, it's, it can be done and they didn't want to do it. And, and here we are. So what, what we are hoping to do, and this is, this is not confidential. This is on the record is that, you know, now that we've succeeded at the fifth circuit and it's been remanded, you know, the judge agreed with us and, and, and said, you know, look, they've proved everything they proved at the trial. We don't need a new trial right? Everything's on the record. Would y'all like to get together and try to settle this case again? And so we have a settlement conference with the magistrate judge uh, set up next month. We'll see if they have a different negotiating position than they had previously, because now the, the difference is, is they know that something's coming. And so it makes sense if you're the county and you know that 
some federal some federal judge is going to issue an injunction, would you rather wait for that injunction or try to craft something that that you feel you have some control over? And, and we feel the same way, right, Dr. Crawford? I mean, we would like we would rather have our, you know a hand in 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 crafting this injunctive relief and just leave it in the hands of a judge, perfectly frank, a judge that, that really got it wrong the first time around. So besides the injunctive relief court ordering the, the parties, the, the, the county to make this accessible, are there other damages or other remedies you're seeking at this time? We settled the, uh, the claim for money damages uh, prior to the trial. And that was and then, of, of course, as a prevailing party uh, under the ADA, you would be entitled to your attorney's fees and costs. Yes, that's correct. So, if if the judge finds that these were reasonable fees and costs, I will be paid for pretty much all my work on this case, including the trial and including the appeal, which is not not for nothing. Let's just say you could modify a courtroom or two for the amount of money they're going to pay me and all my attorney's fees. <laughs> That's well said. I want to give my colleagues, Barry in particular, uh, who's listening in, Barry Whaley, our director, amazing director of the Southeast ADA, uh, to see if they had any other questions or comments uh, at this time. Barry? Well, um, you know, a couple of things have have come to mind, and thank you very much, Peter, for letting me weigh in. You you know, we've been looking at this case from, from the point of view of somebody trying to exercise their civic duty as a juror. I find it interesting that the Hines County Board of Supervisors have, have never considered what if there is a litigant who is a wheelchair user? What, what in the world were they going to do if they had a defendant, for instance, who is a wheelchair user? And were they going to deny that person their day in court? So I've, I've come up, I've actually had uh, a few uh, trials uh, in the Eastern District of Louisiana in federal court where my plaintiff was a wheelchair user and they could not get on the witness stand. Talk about irony, okay? And basically what they did is they, they take a microphone and put it on a stand and, and put it in front of my client. And I was talking with the, the, the Hines County attorney. They were trying to make it look like it, it's, it's better for uh, litigants because they'll get more sympathy for the jury that they can't get. In the, I mean, just, just crazy talk. You know that's what I mean? Crazy. You know, and that's what we talked about all the time. What if you're a plaintiff? What if you're a defendant? What if you're a witness? What if you just want to go watch? You know, these are all totally reasonable things that you can do. And so, you know, we had the argument with respect to being um, a juror, but we also just had the, the run of the mill engaged citizen argument, which was, this is no different than an Olive Garden. You know, Dr. Crawford went, he was excluded. He said he wanted to go back. He filed a lawsuit. He did go back. Why shouldn't that, you know, be the same as a restaurant, which, which no one would say that you don't have standing to sue if you've been, you live, what, three miles away and you want to go back. The district court got it wrong. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, Scott, it's been really a, an honor to be with you guys and Andy amazing work. Scott, I wanted to give you just briefly last word. How are you doing? Where are you at now? And um, what's your message to all these listeners about this really persistence and, and vision that you've had for a more equitable society? What I want to encourage the listeners to do 
is to get involved. That nothing about us without us, it cuts both ways. Meaning we have to show up, we have to try, and we have to push. So be active citizens. Don't take no for an answer because it's not acceptable in the year 2021 to be excluded. If we all act that way, we'll make faster progress. So get involved. Really inspiring session, Scott and Andy. Uh, incredible story. Sorry, there's a, there's a sense of sorrow that it's taken so long and so much effort to achieve what many people would think is a common sense answer along the lines you you just articulated so well. But I want to thank you both for an extraordinary session. I hope we'll continue this conversation in the future. You guys are great Americans. You are visioning what America is about, and that is inclusivity and participation for all. And I, and I know our listeners, thank you for that. Again, I want to thank you both very much for this very, very important session. Thanks for having us. Sure. Appreciate it. Thank you, Peter. And thank you, Scott and Andy. Listeners, our guests for this episode of Disability Rights Today have been Dr. Scott Crawford with Andrew Beiser of Beiser and DeRus, New Orleans, Louisiana. As a reminder to access Disability Rights Today episodes, please visit our website at disabilityrightstoday.org. All episodes are archived with streamed audio, accessible transcripts, and resources. Remember, if you have questions about the ADA, you can submit them at any time online at disabilityrightstoday.org or you can contact your regional ADA center at 1-800-949-4232. Please remember those calls are always free and they're confidential. Disability Rights Today is a program of the Southeast ADA Center. Our producer is Celestia Razda with Beth Miller Harrison, Mary Mortar, Emily Ruber, Marcia Schwanke, and me, I'm Barry Whaley. Our music is from Four Wheel City, the movement for improvement. Thanks again for listening. For more information, please visit our website, disabilityrightstoday.org. And remember, your rights matter. <laughs>